Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 20. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness and dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This is the word of the Lord. Before I invite our speaker today, Esther, to come up, I'll just read a short bio for her to get you warmly introduced. Uh, Esther Leon Kong is married to Reverend Lawrence Kong, serving together at Fraserlands Church. They have three lovely children, Sophie, Zaki, and Levi. Esther has a master's degree in cross-cultural ministries and a bachelor's degree majoring in music. Her passions include advocating for justice and compassion, both locally and globally through her work at the nonprofit organization, Culture Regeneration Research Society, and volunteering with the local grassroots charity, Vancouver Urban Ministries. Sorry, I'm losing my breath. This mask is just suffocating me. Um, <laughs> uh, leadership development for young people and inspiring others through music. Throughout the years, she has been raising awareness among the Chinese immigrant community about colonial history and treatment of indigenous people. Esther is the author of the bilingual children's book, Wonderfully Made, in which she shares her own story of struggle growing up in an immigrant family and eventually learning from indigenous friends about embracing her own culture. Please welcome Esther with me. Hi, um, is this working now? Yeah, you can hear me? Good. And this music stand is perfect height. That's good. I always wonder, am I too short for the, the where it is, right? <laughs> All right. So, um, yeah, I'm really honored to be sharing this message with you today um, on Christ's fulfillment of shalom in our community. So um, I wanted to greet you with the word shalom. And um, I wanted to also focus uh, to the two verses in the scripture reading today, uh, verse 19 to 20. Um, it basically talk, it's talking about peace, which is shalom, uh, through his blood to reconcile all things to himself, to, to God. And, you know, as I greeted you, this term, shalom, is actually um, a Hebrew term. Um, the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, and the New Testament is in Greek. Um, in the New Testament, the uh, Greek word is uh, irine, um, so when we read this passage in Colossians, it is Irene, um, but essentially it has the same meaning as Shalom uh, from the Old Testament. So, and the word uh, Shalom doesn't just mean um, peace as in there's like no conflict or absence of war. It's not just that. Um, it is a very, like, a much more holistic word. Uh, a more in-depth translation would be that peace, uh, that, sorry, that shalom means uh, more than just peace. It's also harmony, uh, fullness, wholeness, completeness, prosperity, um, well, sorry, it's to be wealth and tranquility. 
So if I wish you shalom, I'm actually wishing you a wholeness um, in every aspect of your life, including uh, mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually. Uh, it's like saying, you know, may the fullness of God be with you. Uh, last year, I attended um, this uh, indigenous conference. It's a Christian conference, and it's called Would Jesus Eat Fry Bread? So here we say Bannock, right? So would Jesus eat Bannock? This conference is run by uh, InterVarsity's native ministry in USA. And all of the speakers were indigenous uh, professors and teachers and leaders. And I would say, you know, sitting under their teaching, I have learned so much from them. Um, and one of them, uh, Dr. Randy Woodley, he is a Cherokee uh, First Nation um, professor. He talked about something called disembodied theology. That um, a lot of times, like in the in the Western theological lens, is actually not holistic enough. There's something missing, and and so he's saying that in in Western kind of uh, the theology, a lot of times uh, we focus more like separating, you know, the physical and the spiritual, um, where intellectual, mental, and emotional state uh, is more important than our whole personhood, which includes our physical well-being which is uh, uh, affected by our surroundings and nature. And um, he talked about that indigenous theological framework. It values wholeness, uh, things that are holistic and tangible spirituality, which includes, like what I said, uh, the physical. And it includes God's creation, um, animals, insects, and nature. Um, and those things matter. Uh, it's not just the mental state that matters. So this concept is actually very close to shalom. Uh, he actually calls it the harmony way of living. Uh, shalom is talking about right now, not just about what happens after we go to heaven. And Jesus is the prince of peace. He is the prince of shalom. Through him, all things would be reconciled. And, you know, as we are follow followers of Christ, we are his disciples. Um, how can we fulfill Christ's shalom in our community right here and right now, not you know, after we passed away? So Dr. Randy Woodley asked a very good question uh, for us to reflect on. He would say, how are the least and the marginalized in our community being treated? How are the widows, the orphans, and strangers being treated? And he goes on to say this, if 50%, so this is just, um, you know, a ballpark number, like, uh, like just uh, an example. If 50% of people in our community are not treated well, then we do not have shalom. In the scripture today, um, in verse 16 to 17, it talks about that in him, in God, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. And uh, he is before all things in verse 17. And in him all things are hold together. So let's look at our community with this mind frame, that God is the one who holds all things together, and we are you know, all connected and relate with each other um, in this way as well. So how are we living out shalom in our community? In our um, immediate um, community here, we can say it's uh, Greater Vancouver, right? British Columbia or BC and um, Canada. And today I'd like to highlight uh, three areas for our prayers and our consideration. Um, the first one is child poverty. 
Second one is truth and reconciliation with indigenous peoples and communities. And the third one is pollution and climate change. Um, in BC and Vancouver, the, uh, the child poverty rate is actually very, um, it's not as low as you think. In Vancouver, one in 10 children are living in poverty. And this is according to a report in 2014. And in BC, one in five children are living in poverty. That's around 160,000 children in our province. That's about one third of children in our province. And, uh, sorry, and, and one third of them are um, under six years old. So this is, um, this is something, you know, right here, right now, we are living in this. And uh, in this report, the cost of poverty, it says this, as adults, children growing up in poverty tends to experience higher rates of unemployment, work in lower paying jobs, experience poorer health, and are more likely to be arrested for crimes. So poverty affects the rest of their life. And in 1989, um, the federal government tried to make a commitment to relieve child poverty um, by the year uh, 2000. Um, but unfortunately, so they passed this bill, Bill C-233, an act to eliminate poverty. But uh, unfortunately, 30 years later, um, child poverty still exists, and it still exists today. So the government, you know, they're trying to use their humans, human ways to try to resolve this, um, but it has not been successful. And of course, there's so many complexity to that, right? But, um, but our concern here is, what about um, our church, right? Our churches and worshiping communities all over um, Canada, Vancouver, BC. You know, so I always kind of imagine if all Christians, you know, here we, we can put together a greater effort uh, and resources um, to be relocated um, to help lower income families. And could there be a better change? Could, be, could there be a systemic change? Could the church community be creative um, in a way to redirect um, these resources, right? Um, sorry, my, my husband's grandmother, uh, he, like, she lives in Hong Kong. Uh, she, in, in her 90s, like, she passed away now. But, um, you know, she wasn't a believer until in her 90s. So she has not gone to church pretty much all her life. Um, but when we visited her uh, when she was still alive, she would tell us stories as, ch as a children um, that, because my husband is a pastor, so she's like, oh, yeah, yeah, you're a pastor now. I, I know about churches. And we're like, what do you know about church? And she said when she was a child, um, there was a church that was across from her home, and then they lived in poverty. They were very, very poor, um, and they had many children in her family. And they, they, she said that they would line up um, at that church to get milk powder and rice. And that's her image of church. And as the children line up there, um, some people will actually teach them how to sing songs. So uh, she sang the song, Jesus Loves Me, um, to me and my husband, to our surprise. We were like, well, you remember all the words? And she's like, yeah, I always remember because I was a child. And, and that was the um, image in her head that um, the church is like the one that blesses people. Um, they, they're the ones that support and help the community in this way. So she, she associated that. And did you know that... Um, what is the origin of Sunday school, right? We go to Sunday school these days. And, and when did the churches, and why did the churches start it back then? Well, um, in the 17, um, uh, sorry, uh, 1870s, um, in uh, Gloucester, England, churches started Sunday schools to help the poor and orphaned learn to learn how to read and write. 
uh, to teach them how to do basic things like do math and, and discipline. Um, and at that time, many children uh, were working in factories as young as the age of eight. So like, um, you know, many of them were illiterate. Um, if they just start working, they would never really have a chance to, to learn. So these schools were established by both like clergy, so the pastors and the leaders in church and the lay people. And by the 1800s, uh, 200,000 children were enrolled in Sunday school. By 1850, this number had risen to 2 million children. And these kids were, you know, they were expected to go to these Sunday schools and actually four to five hours per week um, to learn how to read and write. So this is a great example of how the church met the needs of the society. Um, they were a part of fulfilling shalom in their community. And fast forward till today, um, today's Sunday school in the Western world um, is very different now, right? You know, we're more focused about our own learning um, and like our own kind of receiving. Um, but, you know, let's reimagine that as well too, right? How can we become more community focused or uh, maybe allocate some of that Sunday school time uh, to serve the community? Um, so these are just dreams and, and things that I have um, and prayers that I have. So that's something worthy for us to reflect on. Can we reimagine, um, you know, that, yeah, like uh, a lot of the, the, the ways of Christianity in the Western world, um, instead of receiving an inward focus to become more outward focused. And I wanted to talk about truth and reconciliation with first peoples of this land. Um, you know, in May this year, I think many of us have seen the news and, uh, you know, the, the discovery of the unmarked graves of indigenous children at the, starting at the Camp Loops uh, Residential School. And since then, more and more bodies have been discovered. Uh, so this shocking news has finally brought many more Canadians to realize the depth of the horror uh, that, has, you know, that was done to Indigenous peoples and their children um, you know, through colonization and residential school system. I have seen many of my Indigenous friends um, and families, their trauma was triggered when they are hearing this on the news and because um, many of them still live with that trauma. Um, you know, as we talk about fulfilling Christ's shalom in our community right here on this land, our indigenous friends and neighbors uh, have been wounded for so many years. And from cultural genocide uh, with the Indian Act, broken treaties, um, of course, uh, the abuse and sexual abuse in these schools, the residential school system, uh, later on sterilization of indigenous women, and uh, medical exper experiments on children. Some of this stuff happened in the residential school. Um, I know uh, a friend of mine, he's an indigenous uh, Nishka artist, and he told me the story of when he was eight or nine, he was sent to this hospital, uh, and he didn't know why. For one year, every day, they made him have this bowl of pills, um, and he doesn't know why, and if he doesn't take it, uh, he said, like, um, they, will, they will slap his face. So he had to take that bowl of pills. And it was just, um, you know, they're, they're having a, a, I think, a, a legal case right now against that hospital. And so these are real experiences um, of people still living today. So we can see that there's still so many broken promises, too, right, with, um, with leadership. Uh, still over 60 First Nations communities have no clean water. Um, the continued systemic racism in many areas uh, of, um, you know, like, like policing or um, social welfare. And 
Uh, there's a lot of economic disadvantages because they have had their land being taken away and not having you know, the sovereignty of, of that land. So um, after the residential school system, there was something called the 60 scoops where a large amount of indigenous uh, children are taken away to be, to be in foster care in white homes. And many instances, the, uh, the, the parents themselves don't even know where, what happened to their kids. And, and through that system, there was a lot of um, abuse and broken cultural identity. And I know many 60 Scoop survivors that are my friends, they are still um, working through the healing of that as well. And of course, there's also uh, missing and murdered indigenous women. Um, so, so a couple years ago, there's a report uh, you know, with National Inquiry that came out, but that problem uh, still exists. So racism towards indigenous people is still very much alive today. Um, in particular, uh, there was this one case in uh, 2019 in Quebec, uh, an indigenous mom named Joyce uh, Echequan. She is a mother of seven children. Uh, she had a severe a stomach ache. She went to the hospital. Um, but before, like she actually eventually, unfortunately passed away. But before she passed away, she recorded on her phone um, what one of the nurses said about her. Uh, this nurse said that, oh, she's only good for sex, and we're paying for this. And then she's stupid as hell. And so this instance was exposed in, um, in the news and social media. And um, immediately, the nurse was fired, and the premier of Quebec actually gave an official apology. Now, this is only one case of many uh, racial discrimination that we know about um, because the media picked it up. Um, for myself personally, I've been, you know, like having a lot of relationships with uh, First Nations community and families and friends, uh, and they share personal experiences with me, um, how people discriminate towards them, like such as people assuming that they are um, lazy or drunks or not hardworking. Um, many times it's hard for them to find work, um, that places would like hire them or uh, rent, uh, even rent a house to them. So sometimes neighbors would harass them, like just calling on them because um, like one case was like, oh, there's a many children living in the house and they're wondering why. It's like, just mind your own business, right, you know? Um, but a lot of times um, they don't fight back because they don't want to cause trouble um, or be looked down uh, upon further. So it breaks my heart to hear these kinds of um, real life stories uh, happening right here in our own city. And just remember that, you know, the last residential school only closed in 1996, so that's not too long ago. I was 16 in 1996. So this is not like some really distant history or ancestors, right? It happened uh, to like just two generations, one generation ago. Um, one of my good friends, uh, she's in her 30s, she's from Blackfoot Nation. Uh, she's uh, the, the first one that did not have to attend residential school in her family. And today there's still about 80,000 residential school survivors um, in, in, in Canada. So remember, you know, what uh, Dr. Randy Whitley said about, you know, if 50% of our community is not treated well, then we do not have shalom. So we need to ask ourselves this question, right? Like, how can we live out Christ's shalom in the area of truth and reconciliation, as this is still a bleeding wound in our society today? Now, one thing I do encourage everyone to do is to read the 94 Calls to Action compiled by the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Uh, that was led by indigenous leaders. They have done the hard work, the labor, and gathering all these action items uh, for, for everyone to read. 
And they have interviewed 6,000 survivors to compile this report too, the full report. And the full report was um, released in 2015. Uh, but unfortunately, as of 2020, only about eight or nine of these uh, calls to action has, has been um, implement, uh, implemented. And you can see here, uh, these are some of the areas that uh, they were asking like, for, uh, for change and for action from, from everyone. So you know, this is at least a place like, we want to get to know what the issues are and, um, and to start with. Uh, we can start praying about how we can, as individuals, um, you know, we are Christ's disciples, right? And as a church community, to participate in, in doing something about it. So that's the place to start. And um, just want to encourage you with a couple of paragraphs here from uh, the, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission summary report. It says that ongoing public education and dialogue are essential to reconciliation. Governments, churches, educational institutes, and Canadians from all walks of life are responsible for taking action on reconciliation in concrete ways, working collaboratively with Aboriginal peoples. And uh, this is also really important. Reconciliation is not, only, not only requires apologies, reparations, the learning of Canada's national history and public commemoration, but also needs real social, political, and economic change. And uh, I love this, this, um, you know, this sentence. It says, reconciliation begins with uh, each and every one of us. And so I pray for the Holy Spirit's guidance uh, for, for each one of us uh, to take initiative, to learn, listen, and to take action, and to start building genuine relationship with uh, indigenous um, communities here. So um, the third issue I wanted to uh, talk about is pollution and climate change. Um, God created the heaven and earth, and shalom was the uh, original intent for creation. Shalom between God and people, uh, with each other, and with nature, because it's God's creation, right? And, uh, you know, the, the uh, original, you know, intent was uh, supposed to be all of these things will, will be living in a state of uh, shalom, harmony, and in good relationship. Uh, in the Western society, since the uh, in this Industrial Revolution that started in 1760s, uh, the new emerging concept is that the resources on Earth um, are to serve us as human beings. And in other words, natural resources became commodified in a massive way. Now, the good thing is, um, when you can produce things in a massive way, it does help with relieving uh, poverty and feeding people, right? But then, with capitalism, um, commodities also make profit. So humans uh, start, you know, we can squeeze everything out of uh, resources and nature to make a profit, and not caring about the damage to the environment and the, the animals and insects that lives there. And throughout um, more contemporary Christianity, uh, still, like, you know, as the, you know, there wasn't too much attention paid to this uh, destruction of God's creation. And in Genesis, God teaches us um, this idea of uh, this pattern of shalom, Sabbath, and jubilee. And then in uh, Leviticus 25, it has, uh, if you read the, the whole um, passage, it's very detailed, but I'll just kind of highlight some principles and the concept here for you. Um, it talks about, like, Sabbath. So, so basically, the concept is you work your land, uh, your fields, for six years. 
And then on the seventh year, you are to have a Sabbath year. So the land takes a break as well. Um, so they, in the scripture, it will say, don't prune your vineyards. Um, you know, don't do any farming in that year. Just let it be, grow, like, like let it naturally grow, whatever. And whatever it grows that year, um, you can have it for food, but not only for yourself, uh, but also the scripture says to your servants, uh, to your hired workers, as well as your livestock and the wild animals that live around your land. They can all eat off this land for that one year. And, and you are just to give it away, right? And that's what the Sabbath year is all about. So this is a really good model for community living and sharing. Um, the things that, you know, we produce is not just for ourselves to enjoy, but for everyone in the community, especially those who have less. And it is to be given away. And the passage also talks about the year of Jubilee. Um, so the year Jubilee is like, so after seven Sabbath years, so seven times seven is 49, and on the 50th year, that is the year of the Jubilee. And on this year, all debts are canceled. Prisoners are set free. Um, you're supposed to release their slaves and servants to go back to where they come from. Uh, they can go back to their clans. And land is restored back to the original owner. So this is a, a very interesting concept. I looked at the year of the Jubilee. Can you imagine uh, if our world lives like that? Or at least, can we imagine if Christians actually live out um, this concept, right? Our whole world will be in a very different state today then. Um, this passage actually makes me think about, um, reminds me about slavery in America, right? So uh, those slaves owners at that time, uh, they were supposed to be believers of, of, uh, of God, right? What if they followed this year of Jubilee principle, that every 50 year, um, they, they, you know, allow them to go home. They release their slaves to go home. How would that affect history? How would things be today? Also, another brilliant concept uh, from this uh, year of Jubilee is that um, in two generations, like 50 years, right? So that's about two generations. Nobody can get too wealthy or too poor. Things start to balance out, right? Because the, the wealth if you, you know, you accumulate wealth, is meant to be shared. And so this concept can solve the problem of extreme inequality, um, the imbalance between the super rich and the poor. And from Leviticus 25, um, you know, it is almost like a, a welfare, social welfare principle, right? So we have been given instructions on how to live out shalom um, in our relationship with each other as people, uh, with land and with animal and nature, and our relationship with wealth. So today, the problem of capitalism is that people can continue to make money without needing to stop, without needing to share with others their wealth, especially with the people who help them become billionaires. Um, I've, you know, I've heard about uh, in USA, the min minimum wage is really low, um, and the, the workers are suffering with that. But the, the you know, the billionaire can fly a rocket, right, to, to um, yeah, have their own rocket company. So this is all legal, right, in the Western world. But is it right for humanity? So uh, in 1 Timothy 6.10, um, we know the scripture very well. For the love of money is the root of all evil. And in Leviticus 25, uh, verse 17, um, it says, Do not take advantage of each other 
but fear your God. I am the Lord your God. So today in our world, especially in the big companies, often profit is valued over people and nature. And there's something called environmental racism, um, is that uh, pollution disproportionately affects racialized communities. Um, in the recent documentary, There's Something in the Water, based on the book written by Dr. Ingrid Waldron, she says that um, you know, this is a problem of disproportionate exposure of indigenous, black, and other communities of color uh, to environmental burdens, to pollutants, contaminants, and hazardous sites. Uh, in Canada, where you live has a bearing on your well-being. Your postal code de determines your health. Um, so the documentary follows three communities uh, in Nova Scotia. Um, uh, two of them are indig indigenous communities and one of them is black community. They're still fighting the effects of pollution um, from uh, big companies that have brought a lot of harmful um, things into their surroundings. And this has devastating effects on, on their health for many years and even decades. And, you know, there's many more of these cases all around Canada as well. So again, remember Dr. Randy Woodley's comment that if 50% of our community is not treated well, we do not have shalom. And I wanted to uh, kind of end off with our local community and individual responsibility um, right here in Vancouver. So according to studies, uh, each person in Vancouver produces about 1,400 kilograms of garbage each year. And that is equal to the weight of a medium-sized car. Uh, and it requires two Earth's resources to support the global population if everyone in the world lived like one of us uh, in Vancouver. Um, so, so that's a lot, right? And, uh, you know, SFU came out with this uh, report on ecological footprint. So these are the things that we've been, you know, um, using our resources with and, and causing, like, um, like more uh, waste, right? So we do, like, a lot of it is it's a food, and especially red meat, um, transportation, um, the way we live in our buildings, and uh, consumables, like, um, like things that you throw away very quickly, like a lot of the, the single-use items. So these are things we can all pay attention to. So today, as we um, hear all of these things, we may feel powerless facing them. Um, child poverty, the legacy of residential school, uh, pollution and climate change, things can be very discouraging. How can we live out Christ's shalom in this messy world? Um, well, we, we want to start, you know, with our own individual responsibility and our own local community first. So while things are discouraging, um, but let us put our faith uh, in Jesus to renew us, renew our hearts. In the New Testament, um, as he came, he didn't create a new system. Um, he brought in the ancient teaching of Shalom, Sabbath, and Jubilee, like what I was sharing with you in Leviticus 25, that pattern of living. Um, so let us try to live out this pattern of Shalom. Like, I'm not saying, oh, you got to follow that seven-year thing, because none of us are farmers, right? Um, but, but there's the principle of things, um, and we can ask God, how do we apply those things in our own lives first? And remember, the most important thing is that Jesus is the fulfillment of shalom. We don't rely on our own strength, right? We are Christ followers, and we're called to follow his footsteps um, in fulfilling the shalom in our community, and we rely on his strength. And this is a, a quote from uh, Eugene Cho. He is an Asian-American uh, theologian. 
uh, he says this. He said, during his last days, Jesus doesn't just enter into Jerusalem and go straight to the cross. In between, he confronts corruption and hypocrisy, overturns tables, heals the blind and sick, feeds people and washes feet. In other words, following Jesus isn't just about a ticket to heaven. Um, so these are things that I hope encourages us to follow the ways of Jesus. And, and other than just reflecting upon it, like let the Holy Spirit move us into action. Um, taking one step, right, even if it's a small step, it's better than taking no steps at all. Shalom is for the wholeness of our community. It's about um, equity and equality. It's, it's God's justice, right? And in Amos 5, uh, oh, sorry, okay. So in Amos 5, uh, I'll just tell you the scripture, uh, verse 24. It says, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-falling stream. And we go back to our scripture from today. Um, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace, you know, by making shalom through his blood shed on the cross. So let us draw, let us draw our strength um, from Christ, who is the fulfillment of shalom. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before your throne of grace and we come to you, you know, we have all these like things that are so, are so uh, painful and dark and a lot of people are suffering, even in our own communities. In Christ Jesus, we ask, Lord, that you renew us first, that you pour your Holy Spirit's guidance upon us. Uh, you know, break our heart for what breaks yours, Lord. Let us see things through your eyes um, when, when we are faced with uh, brokenness, Lord, and move us into action. Lord, we ask you to empower us. Um, I pray for this congregation, each one of us here, to take those, those steps, even if it's a small step, Lord. Um, I pray that you would give them courage um, and braveness, um, and just in the way our, that we live, that we can truly live of Christ's shalom in our communities. Um, right here, right now. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for hearing our prayers, and uh, I pray that we'll continue to uh, remember this message as we move on our week and to serve others in our communities. And I pray all of this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.